The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and welcome to the Money Podcast. Now, I want to talk about the cost or the price of money, because I think that people only really see the cost or price of money in terms of capital and interest, i.e. what they've got to pay back, rather than the many other costs that are associated with money. Uh, and, you know, like it's quite popular in, say, the startup world, the VC world, the Silicon Valley world, the tech world to raise finance, you know, to do a capital raise. It's assumed that you need to have millions of pounds of other people's money in a deal to start a company. And uh, I don't think that's necessarily the best advice all the time. Of course, if you've got to build some IP or some tech, which costs millions of pounds and you haven't got any money, then, of course, that's the upside, raising the money to get that. And, of course, therefore, you have to accept the downside. But many businesses, property as an example, uh, many startup businesses, many online retail businesses, they can be funded through cash flow, which is essentially getting out there, selling some stuff, putting some money in the bank, and then reinvesting that money. Uh, And then you won't have the big downside costs. So I'm going to talk through on this episode uh, some costs of money, some downsides of getting money just so that when you think about getting loans, joint ventures, raising finance for your business, etc. Many property investors, they look for bridging finance if they've got to get a deal over the line quite quickly. Uh, The the more desperate you are for the money, the quicker you need it, the higher the cost will be. And I'm also going to, like I said, list some costs that are not necessarily financially related. So if you loaned money to or borrowed money from friends and family, of course, the cost could be the relationship. Now, I personally don't see raising money from family, friends, VCs, or, you know, or the the nastiest bank in the world. I don't see that money really any differently. In some respects, maybe you should take money more seriously that you've borrowed from your family. But at the same time, your family and friends are likely to be a bit more forgiving than a, a nasty bank. Um, so in, in some regards, some people would say, well, you, you know, you should take a bank finance more seriously because they can foreclose on you. You know, they can call in the loan. But really, money borrowed is money borrowed. And you should do absolutely whatever it takes to make sure that you repay that money. You take the loan on that money seriously. And I see a lot of people borrowing money and doing joint ventures. And then you hear them six, 12 months down the line moaning about their partners, moaning about their lenders, etc., Uh, But that's because that's a bit like, you know, if you give your kids Christmas presents in June and when it comes to Christmas, you said, sorry, you already had your Christmas presents in June. They're going to throw a tantrum. Oh, give me a Christmas present back and you can have it next Christmas. They're going to throw a tantrum. So the problem is you've got the money. That's the best day. And then every day after like that, you've forgotten the benefit of the partners and the lenders that they brought you when you got the money in the early days. So just try and maintain a balanced view and understand that people gave you the money. It might have been six months, a year, two years ago, but it's still on you to manage the relationship well and make sure that you treat money equally, whether it's you know harder lenders or whether it's family and friends. Because yeah, you, know, you might um, have a difficult time in a relationship with family or friends if there's money on the table. But at the same time, if you screw a bank over or you just miss a few payments, they're just going to take your assets and they're going to have nothing to say about that. 
All right. So um, if you go uh, with a demanding lender, now a demanding lender isn't necessarily just a commercial lender who wants a floating charge and has got covenants such that if the um, you know, equity to debt ratio changes, they can call in the loan. That's in some regards a demanding lender. But I see a lot of people quite desperate to raise money. You know, they've got a refurb on a property they've got to do quickly or, you know, they need a, 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 a round of finance, um, you know, for an app they want to build or some tech. And the more desperate they are for the money, the more, the more they take money and they don't do the research and they don't understand the costs. So if you have a demanding lender, someone who, you know, wants a tenner for a fiver and, you know, is, wants the deal to be perfect and is always on at you, then remember, you probably created that scenario because of your desperation up front. So try and go out raising money earlier than you need it. In the property world, I'm always getting asked, Rob, should I find the deals first or should I find the money first? Well, there's an argument for both sides if we have to play the binary chicken or egg question. But why does it have to be binary? Why can't it be you're always looking to raise finance? Every time you go to a property networking event, a business networking event, you you know maybe meet a friend for dinner and you might um, try and get introduced into his, his or her contacts, online events, charity balls, going to interview people for podcasts, anywhere everywhere at any time someone could be a potential lender or JV partner. Whereas if you wait till you've got some kind of deal, whether it's a property or a business and you're desperate for the money, you are going to give more away. You're going to do less research naturally. You're probably going to attract the demanding lenders because that's the message that you're putting out. And then really, you've probably only got yourself to blame. So I always like to, you know, um, always be raising finance rather than waiting until you need it. Now, if you've got two or three finance avenues, whether they're banks or private lenders, VCs, JV partners, when you've got more than one option when it comes to doing whatever deal you want to do, then you're going to dismiss the most demanding lender. You're going to make the right choice with the right lender. Uh, you can also, you're in a better position of negotiation, therefore you have to give less away. Because the more you give away up front, the more resentment you'll have later on in the deal when needing the money has gone. Um, so sometimes you, you, you set yourself up to fail uh, because, well, yeah, because if I just summarize what I just said, I don't, don't think I need to repeat it. So I will move on. So I would say, if possible, never take money just for the sake of taking money. I think a lot of people like startups that raise capital. So, like, well, you know, this is what startups do. They raise capital. Well, fine. Raise a million quid. Then how are you going to spend it? And if you've got a load of money sitting there, you will not spend it wisely. I see a lot of people in my company and other companies that I am, you know, I know the owners of the companies. And we always say the same thing. We always say people never spend um, their money like they'd spend your money. I.e., They spend your money flippantly. Oh, well, it's Rob's 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand on marketing. We'll just stick it here, here and here. They don't really worry about it. If it was their 10 grand or 50 grand, they'd probably do a bit more research, a bit more analysis, uh, you know, and a bit more testing. So if you've raised this money, you've got nothing to do with it, or you've raised it for the sake of it, then, you know, you're probably going to make flippant, less well-researched investment decisions. Okay, so here are some of the costs of raising money. Cost number one is control. You're going to be giving away some control or at least equity. And of course, you should know that. Um, but the more equity you give away, the more control you give away. And even if you're 50-50, you're still giving away um, the, the ability to make instant decisions yourself. You've got to always run things by your partners. In the converse positive, that can actually be good because there's accountability there. And often people succeed in business and raising finance and property deals when there's accountability. Because if there's no accountability, there's entitlement, there's laziness, there's complacence, there's hubris. You know, there's all these, these sort of um, resistance points that raise. Whereas if you are 
committed, hungry, focused, desperate, like I was in 2005. I was hungry, desperate, committed, because I had to be because I had no other option. That can also be a positive. So giving away accountability or control can be an upside. But, you know, most people don't like it because they want autonomy, don't they? Of course, when you give away money, you increase the overhead. So you've got to factor the loans into your deals, kind of duh. But a lot of people don't factor in the entrance costs, the exit costs, as well as just the interest, the, the, the cost of capital, I, you know, where else you could have invested. Um, you know, they don't factor all these increased overheads into the deals. If you're if you've got a business and you raise finance, you've got increased overhead, whether that is the fact that you've given away shares, which every time you do a dividend, you're sharing that away. If you sell the company, you're sharing that away, um, which, you know, you get reduced ongoing profits, you get reduced ongoing drawings and you have a lack of autonomy. Now, um, I've become really good friends with Gerald Ratner and he came to us to uh, Dubai where we ran a mastermind um, uh, we normally run it in Cayman, but this one off year, we ran it in Dubai. And um, I said to Gerald, you know, when it all went wrong and you lost everything, did you really lose everything? Or did you manage to sort of, you know, diversify your money into other assets? And he said, no, I really lost everything. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, really? Uh, and I was like, well, why did you lose everything? I couldn't get my head around it because, you know, I like to diversify my money once I make it into various, you know, maybe into... Uh, property, into watches, into ISAs, into managed funds, into art, into classic cars, you know, try, try and move it around a bit. So you're not, you're not, um, you're all in on one thing. And if that thing gets disrupted, then uh, you're in trouble. And Gerald said, all he did was he got his salary and he kept buying shares back into his company. He got his salary and he kept buying shares back into his company. He got his salary and he kept buying shares back into his company. And then also anytime he could, he was giving shares away, give shares away to that stuff, give shares away to that stuff. Give, you know, that, that partner, you know, and in the end, I think he had, he definitely had less than 8% of his company. And then when it went all wrong and his share price went nosedive, not only did he have hardly any of his own company, it might have even been a lot less than 8%. Also, is, is all of the value that he had all in, the, in his shares, you know, went down from, I don't know, maybe went down by a factor of 10 or maybe a factor of 50. You'd have to speak to Gerald and get the exact numbers. Um, so, you know, you want to be careful about that and understanding the cost of giving shares away, the cost of putting all of your eggs into one financial basket, etc. Now, often the cost can be the lesson. So you put money, uh, someone puts money in, you raise money, you've got a loan, but you're also going to get a lesson there. You're going to get a lesson on how to manage money. You're going to get a lesson on how to manage relationships. You're going to get a, mess, a lesson on how to bite your tongue, a lesson on how to manage your emotions. When you, are emo you get emotion, your emotions hijack your logic. You know, because if you speak flippantly, aggressively, rudely or badly to someone who's then you a million quid, you're going to have a problem. So you need to learn to shut your mouth and you need to learn to be graceful and to communicate well and to communicate clearly and to communicate in advance and deal with problems when they come up. Because if a problem comes up and someone's lent you 10 million quid and you put your head in the sand, you don't communicate properly. That problem is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, yeah, some of these costs are actually good lessons as well. And you wouldn't get these if you only ever used your own money. So. I must admit, I don't like to overstretch myself. I have got quite a few JV partners who put money in, um, but I also like to sometimes put my own money in if I've got it. And I definitely like, don't like to be overexposed, both from a risk point of view, but also from a responsibility point of view. I like some responsibility and some commitment to people. Because again, it's like having a personal trainer, um, you know, when you, when you go down the gym. Um, but I don't like to stretch myself so much that, you know, it ends up breaking me. Okay, so this is also why most lottery winners go bust. Most lottery, if you do the research, nearly all lottery winners go bust. And in fact, you know what? Winning the lottery for most people on the planet, and I know this sounds strange to say, but it's true, is a curse, not a gift. 
Because if you don't know how to manage money and you get a barrel load of money, that could be a loan, that could be a lottery win, it could be a gift, then you're not going to know what to do with it. You didn't know what to do with money when you had the small amount of money. So all that's going to happen when you have a large amount of money is all of your lack of skills and your lack of emotional control, um, the increased money is going to exaggerate that. So if someone who won a lottery was an alcoholic or a gambler, or someone who just liked to give a lot of money away to friends and family and was very generous, if that person gets a million quid or 10 million quid, it's going to exaggerate their existing traits. It's going to exaggerate their alcoholism, exaggerate their gambling, exaggerate their need to give it all away to, you know, to um, feel good around people and make friends, etc. So money will not make you uh, any different, generally speaking. It will tend to exaggerate your traits. So if you have not learned how to manage and master money before you get a lot more in, when you get a lot more in, all it will do is exaggerate your problems. And that is a big cost of money, which is why I'm always telling people when you're going to do a deal, don't go and do a 50 million pound commercial conversion, your very first deal. Don't go and borrow 10 million quid when you don't know how to pay back a tenner because you haven't learned how to borrow that money and manage that money responsibly. And that is really important. And, you know, if you, buy, if you borrowed a large amount of money and you have problems with that money, where to, where to deploy it, how to manage it, how to keep up with all the interest payments, because obviously that's a responsibility, you will learn fast. And hey, hopefully if you are in that situation and you learn fast, it will be a gift. But at times you will wish you hadn't done it. Okay. All right, so there's always a cost to borrowing money. Most people don't know what that cost is beyond the capital and the interest and the restrictions and the risk. They don't understand the, the cost of the lessons. They don't understand of the opportunity cost. They don't understand of later down the line, um, you know, where the benefit of the money has gone, but the problems are here. They don't understand the managing, the expectations, you know, the communicating well, etc. And so hopefully this both live feed in the progressive community and this episode will be on my money podcast so if you're watching the live feed video and you haven't subscribed to my money podcast make sure you subscribe and um, i think we must be what 15 episodes in now and i'm going to do an episode a week uh, and i'm going to launch for it coming soon so if you're listening to the podcast this is relevant to you too coming soon i'm going to do my one minute money tips one minute money tips i've recorded quite a few of those in advance they'll be launching soon so there'll be two episodes a week coming out so learn to manage money well, uh, and then you will attract more. Um, people will not lend you money when they see that you can't manage your own very well. Uh, Rich has just done a bit of quick research, which is what I love about live feed videos. So thanks, Rich. Ratner shares went from £2.87 to 11.5p, which is a factor of 25. There you go. 25. So what's that? Two thousand. Is that 25? What's 100 times 25? It's 2,500 or 25,000%. 2,500? Anyway, a factor of 25 down. That is not good. Um, so yeah, you know, like all your eggs in one basket and not understanding, not diversifying your money and the cost of selling shares and putting all of your money back into one thing. Because when one thing works, you can get a little bit tunnel vision. You can get this hubris, this complacency, which means you focus on that and you don't focus on the downside risk. So before you take or borrow money, um, before you sell shares in your company, before you start giving things away, before you start playing the lottery, ask yourself, what is the cost? Work out the cost before you do it. Uh, and I think well, that will give you a balanced uh, view of money, a good relationship with money. And later down the line, you won't have the emotional highs and lows. We're excited when you raise it and then you're depressed when it all goes. So thanks for tuning in to the Money Podcast. Uh, and remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.